We are all on equal ground at the foot of the cross. All on equal ground at the foot of the cross. And because that's true, we need to stay true to the gospel. When I was in graduate school and studying to be a pastor, Marion and I lived in Memphis, Tennessee. I wanted to gain some experience as a pastor while I was studying. I heard about a small church in Mississippi that was looking for a pastor about an hour away from Memphis. So I sent a resume, made a phone call, received an interview. Uh, invitation to interview and, and then set up a time to speak on a Sunday morning in December. Uh, Marianne and our little three-year-old Alan and I drove down on that Sunday morning, a nice drive through the cotton fields of Mississippi and a uh, little church building, pretty good shape. Uh, the people were friendly. Things were looking promising. Uh, it was a nice opportunity I felt for me and also an opportunity to get out of the 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift at FedEx while I was in seminary. Uh, so, so far, so good. I spoke that Sunday morning. We went to a church leader's home for lunch that afternoon to get some rest before we had to go back that evening for the uh, interview. Uh, on the way back to church, that church leader was making a little small talk with our three-year-old son, Alan. And he asked Alan, because it was December, hey, what's your favorite Christmas song? And uh, at that time, we had a John Denver Christmas album. On one side of the album were these uh, hymns and carols. On the other side of the album were these secular songs. And of course, Alan picked a secular song. <laughs> so what's your favorite Christmas song? And he goes, please, Daddy, don't get drunk this Christmas. <laughs> so, so as soon as we hear, please, Daddy, you know, Marion and I are like, covering his don't get drunk this Christmas. I mean, we weren't going to let him get the rest of that out. Uh, we were mortified. So at church, it's time for the interview, and we got this giant conference table in the room. There are six or seven church leaders there. Marianne's watching Alan outside the conference room. They had double doors on two sides of the room. About halfway through the interview, those doors flew open. Alan, who's three, jumps into the room. He's a big fan of Spider-Man, so he, like, webs everybody in the room. Marianne's like pulling him out of the room. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She shuts the doors. About five minutes later, the doors on this side of the room burst open, and here he is again webbing everybody. And of course, if you're three years old, it probably doesn't really look like you're webbing somebody. It probably looks like you're making an obscene gesture with your hand. So I'm thinking, this interview is not going so well. But the worst part of the interview was coming. Um, they asked... They asked this, what would you do if a black man came to this church? Now, you've got to understand a, little thing, a few things about me. I played high school basketball in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I was one of two white guys on that team. So I had African-American friends in high school. And then when I went to Vanderbilt, uh, we recruited the first African-American baseball player, and I was a roommate of an African-American baseball player, the first one at Vanderbilt. So when I was asked, what would you do if a black man wanted to come to church? I simply said, I'd welcome them. But as far as those leaders were concerned, that was the wrong answer. They said, son, you don't understand this part of the country. We have our town, they have their town. We have our church, they have their church. If a black man wanted to come to church here, it would only be because he wanted to stir up trouble. And, of course, I try to share what I believe the Bible teaches about racial reconciliation, that we are 
all on equal ground at the foot of the cross, but it fell on deaf ears. And I didn't really want to be a pastor of that church. I'd rather keep working at FedEx from 10 until 2 a.m. Well, instead, I found a job as a youth pastor at a church back in Memphis. And uh, there was racial trouble at that church, too. We actually won some African-American teenagers to Christ who were in our neighborhood. And against the wishes of one of the leaders of the church who was in charge of putting the water into the baptistry so we could baptize, one of those teenagers we led to Christ was the very first African-American to be baptized at that church. See, those church leaders at both of those churches needed to know we are all on equal ground at the foot of the cross. Sometimes one follower of Christ has to connect, correct another follower of Christ, especially when that follower of Christ is not keeping his conduct in step with the truth of the gospel. And that happened in a city called Antioch in Syria. And we're going to read about this in Galatians chapter 2. So open your Bibles to Galatians 2. This is our third week of the series through the book of Galatians, and we're calling it Liberated. Liberated. As followers of Jesus, we have been liberated from the grip of sin to walk in the Holy Spirit. And so this is a letter that is written by the missionary Paul to some first century believers living in the region of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, shortly after Paul's missionary journey, he sent this letter to be circulated among the Galatian churches. Why would he do that? It's because they were not being gospel-wise. That's what Pastor Chad taught about the first week of this series, be gospel-wise. See, they were questioning the truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Now, initially, the followers in Galatia believed this truth. But after Paul left town to start some other churches, there were some other so-called Christian leaders who came in who had a Jewish background, and they began to teach something different. They said, yes, believe in Jesus, but you got to follow the Jewish rules and rituals and regulations and guidelines in order to be saved. you got to be circumcised in order to be saved. So they turned the true gospel, Jesus plus nothing, into a false gospel, which was Jesus plus something. Jesus plus follow the rules and the rituals of the religion. So to teach the Galatians to be gospel wise and to stay true to the gospel, Paul wrote to them about a confrontation that happened between him and another leader in this city called Antioch in the church there. Uh, the Antioch church was Paul's home church. It was the church that sent him out as a missionary. And when Paul was there in Antioch, another great follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, a leader of the church in Jerusalem, a guy named Peter, shows up. Um, if you're here today and you're trying to decide if Christians and the church are legit for your life, then I have to warn you because we're going to be talking about our dark side today. We don't always have our act together. In fact, we often don't have our act together. And God is not always pleased with the way we behave. And we're going to take a look at that today. Paul, this great Paul, had a face-to-face -face confrontation with Peter because Peter is clearly out of line. He didn't stay true to the gospel. So let's see what happened. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. But when Cephas, that's another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I, this is Paul speaking, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, stop there, James was the leader of a church in Jerusalem, and they sent some people up north to Antioch, some leaders, some Jewish religious leaders. So before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles here in Antioch. But when they came from Jerusalem, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Circumcision party. These are the people that say, you got to follow the rules and the rituals and the regulations of the Jewish faith in order to be saved. And the rest of the Jews who were there in Antioch, who had been hanging out with Peter and the Gentiles, they acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnabas was a guy who went with Paul on the missionary journeys. And he says even Barnabas was being influenced in a negative way by Peter. Now, it says they acted hypocritically. And it talks about hypocrisy. The word hypocrite, hypocrisy, uh, comes from the Greek stage. It describes somebody who is wearing a mask. It describes somebody who's like playing a part. It's like you believe one thing, but you're acting as though you believe something else. So you're playing the part of hypocrite. You're wearing a mask. You are not being true to what you really believe. And we have a tendency to do the very same thing. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step. Stop there. This word step is orthopedeo. Ortho means to, to put in place. Pedeo means to walk. So the, I, we get our word orthopedics from this. In other words, hey, Peter, something's wrong with your knee. Something's wrong with your leg. You need some spiritual orthopedic surgery because you're not walking in a straight line in step with the gospel. When I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, to Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, you're hanging out with them, and you're not acting like a Jew, how then are you not going to force the Gentiles to live like Jews? All right, a lot of moving parts here. Before his Jewish friends from Jerusalem showed up in Antioch, Peter was regularly eating with the Greeks and the Romans, the non-Jews. He was eating what the Jewish dietary law said you could not eat because the Jewish dietary law said pork is an unclean meat. It makes you ceremonially, religiously unclean. So Peter, the Jew, has been saying, bring on the ham and cheese sandwiches, right? He has been saying, I'll have a little bit of bacon, maybe a lot of bacon with those eggs. So he's enjoying hanging out with the Gentiles, the non-Jews, but when the Jewish legalists show up from Jerusalem, Peter pulls back because he's, it says here, afraid of them. He begins to act hypocritically. And even Paul's missionary friend, Barnabas, was led astray. Now, what Peter should have done when those religious leaders arrived from Jerusalem was to say, Hi, brothers. Hey, you see what my Greek brothers and sisters are, have over there at the rib uh, cook-off? They got pork barbecue ribs. They got greasy hamburgers with big slabs of bacon on top. Come on in, dive right in. The eating is super fine. And when they said, well, you shouldn't be eating like this, he should have said, we are not saved by keeping the rules of the Jewish religion. You don't have to act like a Jew before you come to Christ. You don't have to act like a Jew after you come to Christ. So we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I'm going to keep eating with my Greek brothers and sisters in Christ because Jesus is for them too. That's not what he said. Paul confronted his hypocrisy. 
Paul confronted his fear of man. Paul confronted his racism. And Paul confronted his religiosity. And I think that's what God wants to do for us today. He wants to confront our people-pleasing fear of man. He wants to confront our racism. And he wants to confront our religiosity. Listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything because Jesus changes everything. When Jesus shows up, Jews and Gentiles can sit at the same table. Because God's plan was always bigger than just one ethnic group. Yes, the Jewish people are God's chosen people. No doubt about it. Jesus Christ came from God's chosen people. But he came for the world. God was never just all about the Jews. God always wanted his message to go to the ends of the earth. Because the Bible ends in Revelation. And you can see in chapter 7, men and women, boys and girls from every language, every nation, every tribe, every ethnic group... The, the, this multicultural expression of faith will be partying in heaven at the throne of God forever. Now, getting this right is a matter of eternal life and death. This matters. It's a matter of really heaven and hell for people because Peter was sending a mixed message. And so the advancement of the gospel in the Greek and the Roman world and beyond was being threatened by Peter's hypocrisy, compromise, and fear. And Paul goes, I can't just let that go. So how do we stay true to the gospel? I mean, if Peter could be a hypocrite, what about me? And what about you? What does it look like if we're going to keep our step in line with the truth of the gospel? Let me give you three ideas. First, live guilt-free. Live guilt-free. We don't have to do more. We don't have to try harder. And we don't have to hang out with the cool kids in order to be right with God. Look at verse 16. You memorize the first part of this. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So the big word in this verse is the word justified. Justification is the theological concept. And what does it mean? It means, very simply, we've been declared innocent. Declared innocent. We're all guilty. It's as though we're standing before the judge, and we got nothing that we can look forward to except the consequences of our sin. And that's death, the grave, and hell. That's it. That's what we deserve. Because we've sinned against a holy, righteous judge. But the judge sent his son who came to die in our place. And he goes, hey, don't punish him. Don't punish her. Punish me instead. I'm going to pay the price. I will be the substitute. I will sacrifice myself on a cross so that he can live, so that she can live. Treat me like the guilty one. So we don't do anything. Just believe. We put our trust in Christ. And that's when this holy judge, who's also our heavenly father, he says to us, I declare him, I declare her innocent. That is justification. From a theological standpoint, it means two things. One is forgiveness. We are forgiven for past sins. We are forgiven for present sins. And thank God, we're forgiven for even future sins. I mean, that's an incredible deal, forgiveness. But there's also another part of this deal, and that's imputed Righteousness, that's what the theologians call it. What in the world is that? 
where we're guilty, we're guilty. We don't have any personal righteousness that we can offer to God. All of our righteousness, as Isaiah says, is as filthy rags to God. So every good thing you did, when you compare it to the holiness of God, it's filthy rags. So Jesus lived a righteous life for us, and his righteousness is given, it's applied, it's credited to our account. So it's called imputed righteousness. When the judge looks at me and he's looking for righteousness, he sees no righteousness with Rick Duncan. He sees me clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So all the good deeds that Jesus did are applied to me. I mean, I often say it's forgiveness that keeps out of hell and it's righteousness that gets us into heaven. Okay? So here's my question. And this is dialogue time. I want to hear from you guys. Since it's true, we have been justified. We've been declared innocent. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you've been forgiven and you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ so that God sees you as sparkling clean. How are we supposed to live? What should our response be? What are the implications of that? How should being justified impact our daily lives? So you guys talk to me about that. What would you say? Grateful. All right, grateful. We should be grateful that God did this and not take it for granted. Joyful. Honest. honest. All right, I can be honest about my sin because, hey, you know what? Everybody's guilty. Me too. I've been forgiven. Okay, what else? I should share this with people that don't know. Awesome. I heard somebody over here. We should experience this forgiveness. Live in the light of your forgiveness. Yeah. Oh, give forgiveness. Awesome. Since I've been forgiven, I need to give forgiveness to other people. Excellent. What else? Fearless. Is that, is I get to get that right? Fearless. I love that. What else? Hopeful. All right. We, we got the balcony rocking and rolling here. Somebody from this side. We should praise God. <laughs> exactly. We should praise God. And we could go for a long time. Look at that list. Look at that list. If you had to pick one of those where you need to grow the most, which one would it be? You don't have to answer out loud. Pick one. And just right now, in your head. <laughs> no, you can leave that up there. They did good. Right now in your head, say a little prayer and just say, God, help me to grow in this. Just say a little prayer. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to bow your head. But let me just mention one that you didn't mention. How about this one? Finding common ground with others who have also been justified. That's an implication of justification. Is that I'm going to find common ground with other people that have been justified. See, justification by faith through Christ ought to bring people together, not separate. Back in those days, the Romans hung out with the Romans, the Jews hung out with the Jews, the Greeks hung out with the Greeks. But in the church, the gospel brought them together. That's why it says later in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, if you're here today as a person who's exploring the faith, and your view is that the church actually divides and separates rather than brings together, then I hope you'll see that when that happens 
And it does happen way too often. The church is not being faithful to Christ. The problem's not with Christ. The problem's not with justification. The problem's really not with the church per se. The problem is with the people who are the people of God. The church is not being faithful to Christ and the gospel that he came to bring us. People that are living true to the gospel are inclusive, not exclusive. Things that separate like culture and class and color don't separate anymore. When the true gospel comes and is lived out by his people, it's got the power to break down walls, to destroy divisions, to bring unity, togetherness, and peace. And that's what the world needs. And that's what America needs. And this is why we need Jesus. We need Jesus more than we need the right guy on the Supreme Court or in the White House or in the State House. I mean, we need the right people in those places. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? We need Jesus a lot more than that. Discrimination is erased when justification is embraced. We can live free. And when we live free from condemnation, then we won't condemn others, no matter their color or their political party or their economic status. To stay true to the gospel, live guilt-free. Second, Live to God. Live to God. This comes from the next section, starting verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. In other words, I'm justified, but I still mess up. Is that Christ's fault? Is Christ giving me a free ticket to sin? No, 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 no. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, to rule-keeping, to religiosity, so that I might live to God. Now, you might want to circle that little phrase, live to God. We no longer have to live under the impossible burden of trying to earn acceptance with God through our own religious performance. We have died to do more, try harder, dot your I's, cross your religious T's if you're going to be right with God. We got a new relationship with God now. We're free to live a life devoted to God. We don't live to self. We live to God. What does that look like? Well, can I do just a little straight talk about social media here? Are you living to God online? We shouldn't be posting things on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or having conversations at home or at work that tell our culture, the non-believing people out there that we're supposed to reach, that's supposed to be a priority for us. They read what we post. They hear what we say. We don't need to let them know that our political position is actually more important to us than the gospel itself. Why do we do that? Maybe it's because... I need to be accepted. I've decided this group is my group. I want to be accepted by that group. Whether it's on the right or the left. I want the approval of other people. And these factions and divisions are what Jesus came to tear down. He came to bring all us guilty but forgiven people together. So we got to identify, we got to understand, we got to challenge and reject any kind of partisanship. We die to the old divisions, the old discrimination, 
the old prejudices, and we live to God. Now, I'm not saying you can't take a political position. I'm not saying you can't have an opinion or express an opinion. I'm not saying we can't have our preferences. But if we make our positions and our preferences a litmus test of, for whether we can dialogue or fellowship with somebody else, we're wrong. And we're out of step with the gospel. And we're wearing some kind of a ridiculous mask. And you might think you're standing up for truth, you're standing up for righteousness, when really your deepest desire isn't truth or righteousness. It's not to be rejected by the people you think are part of the right crowd or the in crowd. That's not godly. That's sinful. That's selfish. Fitting in with your group of preference and condemning some other group may in fact be a way to keep you from being more vulnerable and dependent on God himself. Maybe you've made your political party or your group of friends or your religious preference an idol. And that idol needs to be smashed. To stay true to the gospel, live guilt-free, live to God. Third, live Christ's life. Live Christ's life. One of the most famous verses and one of our memory verses we're going to tackle next is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We got to die to the old system, to the old system that separates and divides and plays religious one-upmanship. And when we die to that, Christ lives within. The life of Christ begins to flow through me. And when Christ comes in, everything changes. It's kind of like, you know, I'm on this spiritual operating table and, and God cuts me open. And he puts inside me the very person of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. He comes and lives inside me. And so I get up off that operating table. I'm supposed to live the life that Christ wants to live in this day in my body. So that's what it means to live new. His spirit comes into me. So that means his agenda is my agenda. His priorities are my priorities. His way of relating to the world is my way of relating to the world. So question, did Jesus Christ, who's living in you, did he come to save the Democrats or the Republicans? Did he come to save the Jews or the Gentiles? Did he come to save the red, the yellow, the black, the white? Who, who did he come for? Did he come for the Americans or the Indonesians or the Mexicans or the Ghanaians? Of course, he came for everybody. And that has an implication for us. If Jesus is in you and is living his life through you, why are we separating? Why are we not for everybody? Why are we for this party and this party only? I mean, you say you believe Jesus came to unite red, yellow, black, and white. That Democrats and Republicans and builders and boomers and Gen X and millennials, they all are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, if you believe that, then act like it. Because Christ is in you. And you're to be Christ to this world.
If he's for everybody who will believe, then you need to be for everybody too. Even if they don't dot their I's and cross their T's or look like you. Live guilt-free, live to God, live Christ's life. And if you do that, you'll stay true to the gospel. Last verse, 221. I do not nullify the grace of God. I don't make the grace of God like a big zero. Um, I don't nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness came through the law, if I could be right with God by being a good boy or a good girl, keeping the rules of a religion, then Christ died for no purpose. Any faith, any church out there that says it's Jesus plus do this ritual or sacrament or ceremony, you're nullifying the cross of Christ. I mean, if we could be declared righteous in any other way, just by doing more religious deeds or just by trying harder, why did God send his son to die? I mean, if there were a thousand ways to get to heaven through good works or being a part of this religion or that religion or keeping a set of rules or regulations, then why would God send his son to be tortured so that now there would be 1,001 ways to be saved? I mean, even Jesus said before he died on the cross, Father, uh, if it's all possible, let this cup pass from me. I mean, what if the Father said, well, there are a thousand ways for people to be forgiven, but I'm going to make you die on the cross anyway. No, there's only one way, and that's Jesus plus nothing. He paid it all. He had to die. And once you say salvation comes in any other way through human goodness or religious performance, there's no need for the death of Christ. And maybe you're here today, and today's your day to embrace this gospel of Jesus for the very first time. There's a prayer. It's in your program. It's going to be on the screen here. And I was looking at this yesterday, and I went, you know, there's nothing in that prayer, even though we call this the prayer of salvation, there's nothing in that prayer that I couldn't pray every day the rest of my life. So, so I just want to ask you, pray with me, okay? Here we go. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made a way for guilty people like me to be declared innocent. I know that my good deeds can't save me. I do not believe that Christ died needlessly. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins so I can be forgiven. I want to be clothed in his righteousness. Help me to live a life that is consistent with the gospel. My old self has died with Christ. May Christ live his life through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a good prayer. Summarizes what we've been talking about today. And if you pray that prayer today for the very first time, then we encourage you to take your program there's a tear-off portion, and you can check a box that says, I pray to receive Christ today. Drop it in the offering basket, because we would love to help you grow in your walk with Christ. This story has a lot of implications for us today. Jesus freed us from ceremonial rules. He fulfilled those rules through his life, death, and resurrection. Now we don't have to keep the rules, rituals, and regulations in order to be saved, because the gospel is Jesus plus Nothing. And some of you know that, but you're not acting like it. Because some of you might say, well, you, you know, I know that um, 
when a baby is baptized, that that doesn't save that little baby from the fires of hell because they got baptized in a particular church or denomination. I know that. But you know what? That's what my family and friends believe. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to let my child be baptized even though I don't believe in that stuff just to keep peace with the family. And I'm not going to tell my other Christian friends over here what I'm doing. I won't let my family and friends over here know what my family and friends over here know. I keep my family and friends in this church separate from my family and friends in that church. And that's when you need spiritual orthopedic surgery. That's when you're acting like a hypocrite. You're believing one thing, but you're doing something else. That's when the fear of man is impacting your behavior. That's when things are getting muddy with the gospel. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus make sure you get your kid baptized in a church when he's a baby. And if you already have done that, I just want to let you know, You've already been declared innocent, right? And you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But don't do something like that again. Because the gospel's at stake. Be clear about the gospel. It's Jesus plus nothing. Because if you make it Jesus plus something, you're detracting from the glory of Christ. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So let's stay consistent with the truth of the gospel. Or maybe you're saying, you know, the politically liberal Christians are over here. The politically conservative Christians are over there. I kind of like hanging out with my Christian friends over here, but I'm not going to let any of my friends over there know about it. That's when I'm acting like a hypocrite. I'm playing some part. I'm not being authentic. I just need to be okay with with everybody. The fear of man is impacting my behavior. I need spiritual orthopedic surgery because I'm not walking in a straight line with the truth of the gospel. See, when someone comes to faith, they don't need to change their culture. They don't need to dress a certain way. They don't need to change political parties. They need their heart to be changed by God. Last week, Josh Stone taught us something. He said Christianity is the only faith that can truly be multicultural because it is Jesus-centered. No matter the dress, language, culture, custom, country, wherever people are justified, not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus, those people are brothers and sisters. In Christ, Republicans, Democrats ought to be able to sit at the same table. In Christ, Fox News junkies and MSNBC junkies ought to be able to sit at the same table. In Christ, blacks and whites ought to be able to sit at the same table table because we are all on equal ground at the foot of the cross. Can you read that with me? We are all on equal ground at the foot of the cross. Jesus came to break down barriers. And if we aren't setting aside our differences and if we're part of some kind of religious elitism, then we're not keeping in step with the truth of the gospel. And we need spiritual orthopedic surgery. Hypocrites if we're dividing over secondary issues or skin color or political prejudices. And whenever you see somebody who's not in line with the truth of the gospel, then we see from this story you have the right and the opportunity and the responsibility to confront them in a loving way. Why? Why did Paul confront Peter? 
It's not because Paul wanted the position of spiritual superiority to Peter. I mean, we saw last week, Paul had already submitted himself to Peter and his leadership. It's because Paul wanted to protect the advancement of the gospel in places like Antioch and beyond. Listen, I'm saying here today, I want to be real clear. What needs to be more important to you than any political position, any color or anything is the gospel, the spread of the gospel. That's why you've been left on this planet. You weren't left on this planet to have vacations. You weren't left on this planet to have fun. I hope you do have vacation and I hope you do have fun. But you know what? We're going to have a great vacation and a lot of fun in heaven. Why were you left on this planet? It's to spread the gospel where it hasn't gone. And if your political partisanship and if the color of skin is keeping us from helping people know the gospel of Jesus, we've got to rethink our positions. I don't know where I am. That wasn't in my notes. Sorry. <laughs> I got no idea where I am. All right. <laughs> Let me wrap it up. Have a meal with somebody from a different race. Have a meal with somebody from a different generation. Have a meal with somebody from a different political party. And don't talk race, don't talk generation, and don't talk politics. Instead, talk about Jesus, the one who unites us all. All right, I'm going to ask one more question and then have a little dialogue with you guys. Here, here's, here's the question. Based on what God has said in his word today, how are you going to obey God in his word here and now? So I want you to come up with an I will statement, okay? I will. Because we don't want to just be here's the word, we want to be doers. What are you going to do with this? So I'm going to give you 15 seconds to ask the Lord, give me an I will. I will do what? Ready, set, go. Wait a minute. Give people a chance to think. Then I'm going to ask. <laughs> All right, we have one person over here who downloads from the Holy Spirit very quickly. She said, <laughs> I will share the gospel. That's really good. What else? All right, we got to be grateful. And we got, I will love everyone. Love All right, wait a minute. I got a prayer thing going on Pray back. For Pray for our brothers and sisters. Lovingly confront those who, fellow Christians who aren't speaking They can't type that fast. They can't type that much. All right, lovingly confront somebody who's wearing a spiritual dunce hat or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Who's not walking in line with a step. Fear God, I will fear God and not man. Okay. Oh, I will apologize, dude. Man, that's some deep stuff right there. What else? Give me a couple more. Go. <laughs> I will go to God. All right, I can dig that. I love that. I've been there. Take off the mask. All right, there's a couple more here. I heard right back in here that I ignored. I will be open-minded to people with opposing views. Okay, we could go, go on forever. 
You guys are good. Read the Bible. Hallelujah. Amen. That's good. All right. Maybe you can look at one of those and say, Lord, make it true for me. But let's all walk away with here. With, I'm going to do something different with my life because I was here today.